This is News Talks on the Record with me, Kieran Cuttahy. Time now for more Hidden Histories. Donald Fallon is back. Donald, how are you? Good to be here. Good, Good. to be back. Um, now, a year ago this week, Ireland lost one of our most uh, capable and controversial writers, author of Fairy Tale of New York, a book that later lent its title, of course, to the Pogue's masterpiece. Uh, J.P. Dunleavy is primarily remembered, of course, for The Ginger Man, his first book. Uh, unsurprisingly banned, <laughs> it remains a controversial masterpiece, uh, pulled from the stage after only three nights in Dublin and uh, people I suppose we were talking uh, here in the show earlier Donald going through the Sunday papers and there's a big spread about JP Dunleavy mm. it is that one year anniversary it is and this book touched everyone uh, from Dorothy Parker to, to Johnny Depp you know it's an extraordinary impact for a book and I think it proves uh, as often is the case through history that if you ban something and if you marginalise something and if you push something to the sidelines what you ultimately do is you put it centre stage because people want to read dirty books, right? That's just how it is. <laughs> and, and, and The Gingerman, by being banned, I think that is a fundamentally important part of the story of how this book became the masterpiece that it is. Yeah, it, tell us a little bit then about it. Like, and J.P. Dunleavy as well himself. He, he wasn't yeah. born here. I mean, they claim him as a Mullingar man. He lived yeah. many, many happy years in a like gloriously... Like the way Charlie is like, claimed to be from everywhere. From a, a gloriously big house uh, in, in Mullingar. He pontificated from for decades. But he's a brilliant character. And, you know, while they may claim him down in Mullingar, by birth, he's fundamentally an Irish-American. I mean, he's born in New York City, Irish migrant parents. And the way he ends up in Ireland is kind of interesting. He, he arrives here in the late 1940s after the Second World War because he'd served in the US Navy and they had this brilliant thing called the GI Bill. Essentially what the Americans did is American soldiers that served in Europe were able to stay there. They could study in Europe after the war's conclusion. And, and Dublin became this kind of mecca uh, for American soldiers, especially American soldiers who had Irish blood. I mean, mm. this was the chance, the chance to go and see the old country. So they arrive here in their droves and they become a very familiar sight in Dublin pubs in particular in the kind of late 40s, early early 50s. And he's studying in Trinity College, Dublin. So it's Dublin and in particular, to be honest, it's the bar stills of McDade's uh, that you know he becomes attached to. And this book, I mean, everyone from Anthony Burgess to Johnny Depp has fallen in love with this book. Uh, it's up there, is it, with Ulysses? I would say it's second only to Ulysses as a Dublin masterpiece. And it's kind of like Ulysses, and it's written in this mad rambling flaw of consciousness. You know, it's a very difficult book to read. And I would describe it in terms of the, the violence and the sex and the madness. It's like a mashup of Ulysses and a clockwork orange. <laughs> as curious as that may sound to people. Uh, and like Ulysses and a clockwork orange, it had its fair share of detractors when the book was actually published and it was banned on both sides of the Atlantic. Now that, that's unusual enough and famously Oliver J. Flanagan, the politician, said there was no sex in Ireland before television. Ulysses and the Gingerman both disproved that very much so. And a little bit like Ulysses again, it, it's kind of like a, a ramble through Dublin. I mean the streets are there, the back alleys, the catacombs, the pubs, they are the backdrop of what is basically the story of a sex and drink addicted American, Sebastian Dangerfield, as he makes his way through the streets of Dublin. And, and even the pub Publisher as well. It was the Hugh Hefner or oh someone of his time. It was, it was a total accident, this, but it was published <laughs> in Paris in 1955 by Olympia Press, who, unbeknownst to Dunleavy, were basically a publisher of lowbrow pornography. Now, sometimes they dipped their toes into more serious pursuits and they kind of had different. Uh, different imprints, you know, of the one publishing house. They published books like Lolita and they had this very seedy vibe off them. Uh, and it's sometimes said that Brendan Behan, uh, a seedy enough character, <laughs> was the man who suggested to Dunleavy that he send the book to this crowd in Paris. Uh, and Brendan Behan actually pops up in, in The Gingerman. He's, he's fictionalised as uh, Barney Berry. But he said, this book of yours is going to go around the world and beat the bejesus out of the Bible. And, you know, Behan, a kind of drink-addicted, sex-addicted character of his own way, he kind of, I think he just fell in love with The Gingerman when he read it. Now, 
Now, Olympia did publish serious stuff. They actually put out some of Beckett's work, but on a different imprint. So when Dunleavy gets his author's copies in the post, he's absolutely furious. Basically, they're selling his book as porn. It's a bad book. And the bans flew in. I think most countries banned it before they even read it because they just banned everything this crowd published. Yeah. So US, France, Ireland, even Australia. 1956, the Censorship Publications Board, the Anti-Crack Society in Ireland, they add this book to their list of banned novels. So I think it becomes novel 76 or 77, banned in this country. So th- this rambling kind of tale of, of Sebastian Dangerfield, tell us a little bit, a bit more about yeah, it. I mean, Sebastian plot. Dangerfield... As an American who's studying with a very, very small S uh, at Trinity College. And to be honest, he's more preoccupied with sex and drink than with his college studies. He's trapped in a deeply unhappy marriage uh, with a woman called Marion who doesn't even want to be in Ireland. You know, an English woman who hates everything about Ireland. And the reviews of it are great. Dorothy Parker, when she read the book, she said, it is a rigadoon of rascality, a bald out comic song of sex. That's as good a review as you're ever going to get. Dangerfield is like an anti-hero. We kind of want to like him. I mean, this guy's going around getting into fights in public houses. He's fallen downstairs and we want to like him. But he's also downright abusive and vicious, especially towards his wife, Marion. So at times when you read this, it's kind of like Dunleavy read this book deliberately or wrote this book deliberately to scandalise people. There's a bit where Dangerfield walks into a Dublin pharmacy and he inquires about contraceptives. Quote, you know, I put it too unpleasantly asking for the American tips if possible. I saw his face go down, slouch at a jaw, hands twitch and a bottle break on the floor. The woman waiting behind me indignantly swept out of the shop. I mean, that's something that made people very, very uncomfortable. That famous contraception train, that stunt was still decades away from happening. So in the 1950s, writing a book that talks about going into a Dublin pharmacy looking for condoms, that is that is dynamite stuff here. Now, all, all authors and would-be authors like yourself these days, you want to write something that uh, some Hollywood uh, production company will buy for a huge amount of money. Uh, the version of that in the 50s was to get your book on stage, yeah, and they it? did it. they did it really quickly. Almost even quicker today than they turn a book into a Hollywood film. They just put it on the stage as quick as they could. And it made the leap from the kind of printed word to the stage uh, in 59. So four years after it was published in, in Paris and it was put on in London and in Dublin. Uh, and amazingly, the stage adaptation in the Gaiety Theatre went three nights before it was shut down by clerical pressure. And it's really curious this because we always think about censorship as something that the state does. You know, the state doesn't want us watching this. The state doesn't want us reading this. But this was actually done by the power of the church. And the lead role was played by the brilliant uh, Richard Harris. The problem was, unfortunately, Richard Harris was totally in the grips of alcoholism at the time. And maybe in its own weird way, that was kind of good for this play, you know, because Sebastian Dangerfield is an alcoholic mess and Richard Harris definitely was that as well. And London, the London stage was going through a massive kind of Irish period at the same time as this play was on. A theatre two miles away was showing Brendan Behan's The Hostage and Sean O'Casey, one of his plays, Cockadoodle Dandy, was on in another London, another London theatre. So, I mean, you could walk into any theatre in London in 1959 and get this view of Ireland. And the Evening Herald said the view of Ireland is misleading and distorted. A non-Irish foreign visitor to London would come away from these plays with a depressing opinion of Ireland. But it was Harris, really, who dominated the reviews. Yeah, you mentioned Harris. Like, at the time, was he, was he famous already by then? He was, was he a big name? One of the problems, he was famous for what he was doing off the stage and okay. not on it. And the theatre, the, the Fortune Theatre, was in an area of London that was basically full of early houses because it was where you had the fruit markets and the like. So you have these pubs that open at God knows what hour in the morning if they ever close at all full of you know hard working class men that are lashing into the pints and you have this Limerick man Richard Harris who's making the short leap you know from the stage or from rehearsal into the pub and his drinking was totally out of control. His partner actually took the child and made off for a parent's house and, and the role kind of actually was so intense that like Richard Harris was playing an alcoholic in his own life and then he's playing an alcoholic on stage. He had a total nervous breakdown. 
so it was kind of, you know, he could only play this lunatic character by becoming one or remaining one. Uh, and after a few weeks, then it makes its way to Dublin. They brought it to Dublin and it made it three performances. And the Evening Herald <laughs> went to watch it and the review was brilliant. They called it a sordid and repulsive evening at the theatre. The Irish Independent, of course, the sister paper uh, of the Evening Herald, said that The Ginger Man is the most nauseating play to ever appear on a Dublin stage. And it's a matter of some concern that its presentation should ever have been considered. It is an insult to religion and an outrage to normal feelings of decency. Was there a big public outcry then? Well, in the past, whenever there was a play people didn't like in Dublin, people went along and they threw things or they shouted things. So Playboy of the Western World, Sean O'Casey's play, The Plough on the Stars, both of those occasions, the audience show up and they boo and they jeer and they throw things and that gets it put off the stage. On this occasion, it's the media, really, that has the power to do it and it's the church as well. And it was reported that by the third night, the, the following statement appeared in the newspapers. The management of the gaiety announced that the run of the Gingerman will be discontinued after tonight's performance because of the lack of cooperation by sport productions of London who refused to make cuts as demanded by the management on Monday. But it emerged that it was actually nothing to do with the management. What had happened was that the driving force behind the collapse of the play was John Charles McQuaid. And as his biographer, John Cooney, says, one of McQuaid's secretaries arrived at the theatre to convey his grace's disapproval of the play, which had been described in the newspapers as, a res- as an insult to religion and decency. And Richard Harris watches this priest walk into the gaiety, denounce the play, and when he walks out, he says, there goes the battleship. But, I mean, what McQuaid did was quite remarkable, and it was very much outside the rule of law, and he was doing it all the time. I mean, when RTE was being set up, he was against that. He thought that would be bad for religion. Uh, he famously described Edna O'Brien's book, Country Girls, as a smear on Irish womanhood. You know, if he didn't like something, be it a film, uh, a, a television station, a play, he had the power to make your life very, very difficult. And he did that on Dunleavy. Yeah, it's remarkable to think that that was the situation. Dunleavy, I assume, was angry about this. And never forgave McQuaid, quite rightly. You know, he, it took four decades, literally exactly four decades. So 1959, the play is shut down. 1999, it re-emerges on stage uh, for the Dublin Theatre Festival. But maybe in some ways Dunleavy owed something to McQuaid, you know, because <laughs> it was his actions and the actions of people like him that made so many people want to read that book. And they've sold more than 40 million copies uh, of The Gingerman. It's been translated into almost every major spoken language in the world. You can buy it in Korean, you can buy it in Finnish, and it's scandalising whatever language you choose to read it in. So I think Dunleavy ultimately perhaps may have owed something uh, to McQuaid. And the big screen as well? It's coming, and I read an article there today in the Sunday Independent that suggests this may be closer to happening now that Dunleavy's dead than when he was alive, because he was very tricky in terms of how it would be done on the big screen. He wanted a lot of control over that. And it was reported that uh, Johnny Depp was working on a big screen adaptation. So we talked about Richard Harris and how his life spiralled out of control. <laughs> is, is Johnny Depp the Richard Harris of today? Maybe he is. Uh, and Depp even wrote the introduction for a beautiful anniversary edition of the book not too long ago. He described it as a bedeviled, timeless jewel of scandalous misdeeds, which sounds like the headlines he makes for himself. These oh, days. Absolutely brilliant. My thanks to Donald Fallon, author of the Commute to Be Blog, book volume two in the shops now. And that is it for me today. Off the Ball is up next here on News Talk. My thanks to the production team, Roisin Davis, Simon Keane, Stephen Jordan, Peter Malloy was on sound to play us out. I know Donald's beloved dubs in action and Croker later on. For the sake of rivalry, I'll go for Cork, but we'll give you this one. 1934, born on this day, died exactly 10 years ago. Singer, guitarist, founder of the Dubliners, Ronnie Drew. Oh, a hungry feeling Came o'er me stealing And the mice were squealing in my prison cell And the old triangle Went jingle jangle All along the banks Of the royal canal 
begin the morning. This crew was ballin'. Get up, ya bowsy, and clean up your cell. And the old triangle went jingle jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal. Now the screw was peepin' as the lag lay sleepin', dreaming about his girdle sal. And the old triangle went jingle and jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal. Up in the female prison, there are seventy-five women, and among them, now I wish I did dwell. Then that old triangle could go jingle and jangle all along the banks of the Royal Canal, all along the banks of the Royal.